السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته يا هذا شهادة نزيلنا من أيتوريست وإنديد الله تعالى says they are not dead though you do not understand we do not understand all now have been put in the cover Alhamdulillah may Allah have mercy on them and fill their covers with nur May I have mercy on their loved ones and grant them comfort in the difficult time. Alhamdulillah, another week has passed. Another week. What did we achieve in this week? Are we going to be at Salah? Huh? Are we going to be getting ready for Salah this Friday night? Like the Shahada were last week? What a great time to go for Salah. Friday night. Imagine that. Huh? An auspicious time. Because that's when very few Muslims are going to mosque nowadays. And imagine, you go to masjid, you're going to make your salah, and you made shahada at the same time. Yeah, that Brenton fellow doesn't know what he was doing. He doesn't know what he was doing, how he had spread the word of Islam. Yeah, well, I, was, I was once asked in 2003, uh, as the invasion of Iraq was happening, what I thought of it all. And I said, you know what? America has forged a sledgehammer to smash Islam. But what it's doing, it's like, it's like it wants to smash mercury. Hmm? Have you ever tried to hit your hand flat into mercury when you're at school? You know, they used to have those, uh, those thermometer rulers back in the 80s. Filled with mercury. I know, really crazy stuff they used to give children now in those days. Huh? You drop, the, you drop the mercury on the floor and it just shatters and rolls in these small, tiny little silver balls all over the place. I said, this is what America is doing. It's like Islam is, is liquid mercury on a glass table. And America is coming along saying, we're going to smash Islam. But in actual fact, what they're doing is they're just smashing the parameters that they've had since World War I. That's what they're doing. They're smashing their own system. They're breaking their own table. And uh, Islam is not controllable by man. Islam is only in the hands of Allah. You want to come and smash this mercury, see what this mercury does. See where it goes. The message is out there and it is being spread. And it is being spread despite the hatred of people like that man whose name I can't remember. Brenton Tarrant, something like that. Some right-wing scum. Ah, he thought he could write stupid little words on his little gun and go and take some lives. And he would think, what, are we supposed to get scared or something? We all know we're going to die. Everyone is going to die, including that Tarrant fellow. He's also going to die. Yeah. Inshallah, he'll become Muslim before he does. Because now he must start considering. He must start considering the Qabr. Alhamdulillah. May Allah Ta'ala unite the Ummah with, with uh, incidents like these. May Allah Ta'ala unite the Ummah and strengthen us and remind us. You know, I, um, I, 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 I say to the Muslims in Europe, Lech Lecha, Lech Lecha. That's what the Jews used to say uh, back in the 1930s. Lech Lecha. What does it mean? It's Yiddish. It means get out. Yeah, I'll tell you, there's one thing that I agree about Israel. There is one thing in the logic of the establishment of Israel. There is one thing that I do agree with. That white people are barbarians. U Europe is the home of barbarism. Jewish people, <coughs> excuse me, Jewish people are not safe in Europe. They do need a homeland of their own. They are not safe in Europe. But I'll tell you another thing. Muslims are also not safe in Europe. The Europeans have got like a special little connection with the Jews because basically with Hitler, they were caught with their pants down for the whole world to see their, their racist attitude, their racist 
inbuilt, inbred racism that goes deep inside their own civilization with the roots that go back like 2,000 years. They call it a civilization. Jews are not safe in Israel. Those Europeans are just as barbarous as they were during the Roman times when they used to go and throw people to the spectacle in the circus, watch lions eating human beings. Imagine, you go and do that for fun. Is it any wonder that they still have those crazy horror movies that come out? You go and you watch blood and gore and people dying. They call that civilization. Well, that is there in them still today. And it's coming out again. They're turning into Nazis again. You can see, look at them going and like sort of trying to take over Venezuela, democratically electing their own, the, the, the president from the outside. American democracy is so strong as now electing uh, leaders for other countries as well. Yeah, they're going to come and try and elect our leaders as well one day. You can see it happening. That uh, military base across the border in Botswana isn't there for nothing. And it's like, you know, a little child. You give him a pair of scissors. He start wandering around the house. He's never wanted to cut things before, but now suddenly he's going to start cutting things. Why? Because he has the scissors. The Americans are just like that. I wonder what the DA would have said about uh, China building a military base in Botswana if that, uh, if that military base had been a Chinese base. I wonder what the DA would have said. <laughs> yeah, well, anyway, we've got elections coming up and there's no one to vote for. May 8th is coming up and there's not one party that's worth voting for, putting your ex next to you. Like, what for? Huh? We're going to be like those um, British parliamentarians thinking you're going to get Europe to accept Brexit by voting on it again and again and again and again and again without changing anything. <clears throat> superstition. Systemic superstition. This voting isn't going to do anything for South Africa. Something else is needed. Something else is needed. And I would say it's clan. Move to clan. Take these parties away. Take these trade unions away. Take these clubs away. Take these medical aids away. Take these corporations away. Take them. Take them away. Ah, let's have a look what's happening on the JSE today. Oh, what a wonderful introduction to a business program. <laughs> Most chief executives love this kind of talk, I can assure you. <laughs> Excuse me. Just, you know, being preparing the news for 8 and 10 o'clock and... Uh, Ah, yeah, you read the stories of the loved ones. The young three-year-old being put in his cupboard. May Allah give us strength. O oh, Allah be with us and favor the Ummah. O oh, Allah guide the Ummah of Nabi Kareem, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. O oh, Allah forgive the Ummah of Nabi Kareem, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. O oh, Allah turn our hearts away from the dunya into the akhirah. Ya Allah, give us strength. Oh Allah, we know you're going to take us one day, and all of us must die. Oh Allah, make it so that when you take us, you take us, you take our ruh when we're in a state of iman. And raise us again on the day of Qiyamah in a state of iman, oh Allah. For we know that uh, indeed we're made of dust, and to dust we will return, and we know that we will be raised up again. Ya Allah, the day is coming. Oh Allah, grant us strength and grant us patience. That is it, you know. Patience. Patience is something that is, I feel nowadays is, is, is undervalued and misunderstood. I really got a, a good understanding of patience. Uh, I was reading that hadith uh, about uh, the jihad expedition after the conquest of Makkah. They had to go to the nearby city where uh, they were worshipping a lot and we're trying to raise their their haram as a, as a rival to the to the Kaaba. So the first thing Nabi Karim did after he had established the peace of Makkah, he took he took everyone out on a jihad. And they thought they were gonna win. They were big in number, but suddenly they were attacked. They were ambushed, basically. They were going through a valley, and on the side of the valley, there were all a whole lot of ravines leading off to the sides. And out from these sides, as they were going along, suddenly from the flanks, they have been attacked. Anyone who knows military tactics, they know the best way to get, your, your, to get a victory on a, on, on a position or an enemy is uh, not through a frontal attack, 
but through a surprise flank attack, just as like in the Battle of Uhud. Um, Khalid bin Walid, radiallahu anhu, who at that time was not yet a Muslim, he led that cavalry charge. You know, when the archers, they came down from the hill. Nabi Karim sallallahu alayhi wa sallam had put them up there on the top of the hill and said, you stay there on top of the hill. You don't come down until the battle is over. And then the Muslims got an initial victory and, they were, and uh, the Quraysh were fleeing. And suddenly it was time for booty. So the guys on the top of the hill, they said, well, you know, he said it's until the end of the battle. The battle's over. They're running. Come, it's time for booty. So they didn't feel that they were um, disobeying Nabi Karim sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. It was more like a misunderstanding. Um, and Khalid bin Walid, being that great general that he was, immediately saw that, yes, Nabi Karim sallallahu alayhi wa sallam's flank was open. Just as those worshippers at the Anur Masjid in uh, Christchurch last week, their flank was open. They were getting ready for Salah. Nothing like a guard was up or anything like that. One of the brothers saw, them, uh, the, saw the gunman approaching and said, Hello, brother. Hmm? It's not like they were expecting to be killed. Miracle molt can come at any time. And so as they were going through the valley, uh, the Muslims were attacked from the sides. And so the Muslims fled, except for a, a few who remained around Nabi Karim sallallahu alayhi wa And what does the hadith say about them? It says some of the Muslims were not patient. It doesn't say they got scared. It didn't say they were cowards. It didn't say they lacked courage. It says they lacked patience. Patience there, like in that ultimate test huh? of life and death. Hmm? How many of us would fail? And why did the ones who remain pass the test? Because they were patient. You know, their death was coming and their trust was in Allah. Their trust was in Allah. They maintained patience. It's not because they were big. It's not because they were strong. It's not because they had a lot of numbers. It's not because they had the best weapons or the sharpest weapons. It's not because of the family they were with or the wealth that they had. They stayed because they were patient. That's how important patience is. That's what patience can do. And you know, um, the 99th name of Allah is As-Sabur. You go and see the translation of that. It's not the patient one. It means forbearing. Forbearing. Keep your line. Keep your bearing. Keep your direction. Walk the path. Doesn't matter what happens. Doesn't matter how frightening it is, or how tempting it is, or how inviting it is, or how forbidding it is, or how cold it is, or how difficult it is. Maintain the path. That's all. Ya Allah, may Allah, may As-Sabur bless us with sabr. Ya Rahman Rahmin, bless us with unity. Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Mawlana Muhammad wa ala Ali Sayyidina Mawlana Muhammadin Mubarak wa salim. All right, well then, let's go and have a look at the JC, shall we? All's index down, top 40 index down, ran down, everything bad. Uh, not because of anything Jacob Zuma did or anything because uh, Sul Ramaphosa did. I'm sure uh, a lot of things that the, uh, that the journalists did, continuing the, uh, the reign of pessimism over our nation, the mainstream media. Hmm. I used to be in the mainstream media. I don't call myself a journalist anymore. Out of shame, I don't want to be included among those people. You're a journalist. Oh, you're objective. Press freedom. You want press freedom. Why does a country need press freedom when you've got freedom of speech? Isn't it, uh, you know, making, giving someone a special right to speech? The media. The media. Freedom of uh, press. Press freedom. The right to press freedom. When uh, you've already got the right to free speech is in actual fact making the, the speech of billionaires more important than the speech of ordinary human beings. That's what freedom of the press really means. It means the right of billionaires to dictate the public discourse. That's what freedom of the press means. 
And they get the most horrible kind of uh, prostitutes to go out and do their thing. Silken tongues and blackened evil hearts. That's a journalist for nowadays. I don't call myself a journalist anymore. Huh? In the 90s, I was prepared to die for journalism. <laughs> what a foolish man. Yeah, well, the all share index is down 0.07%, so it's just like, you know, nudged into the red territory. That's on 56,107.48. The top 40 is also down 0.07, 007, 007 for Friday. Uh, it's on 49,792.42. Uh, we're trading at 18.59. Uh, so, so <laughs> I'm looking at the time, sorry. Uh, we <laughs> we're trading at 14.49 uh, to the dollar. Uh, 1911 to the pound and 1635 to the euro. And gold is currently trading at $1,312.14 a fine ounce. The most watched shares on the JSE today, according to ShareNet, uh, Steinoff, it's down 3.3% on the day. And it's, uh, it doesn't really matter how much it's up or down anymore because it's like, you know, it's in pathetic territory. Uh, it's on 177 uh, Sibanya, the gold miner, is up 3% today on 17.25. It's enjoying a little bit of an uplift there after two court rulings, uh, victories, if you can call it that, against AMCU, uh, the, 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 the mining trade union. Uh, it's got a strange, strange uh, acronym there. It actually stands for the Associated Construction and Mine Workers Union. Uh, which is quite strange. Uh, anyway, uh, Sibania is in second place. Uh, the market are liking its victories there, looking like it's going to be able to move towards some uh, semblance of uh, regular production. Uh, but it's still, I'm still waiting to hear from AMCU what it's got to say about all of this. AMCU has been very quiet, and I'll tell you what, that is very ominous. Uh, Aspen Pharmacare on 91.09. Uh, still in a bit of trouble territory there. Uh, Aspen uh, brought out results recently. The market didn't like it a lot because it had a whole lot of debt and uh, Aspen was suggesting that the best way for us to handle this is to start selling things. Um, shareholders don't like that because it's it's removing, uh, um, what do you call it, uh, vigor from the group. It's, it's taken away from its operations and uh, it's not like you're selling something and you're going to give the money over to shareholders. You've got to give the money over to the banks. And so uh, its share price is, uh, well, on uh, 92 Rand, uh, approaching 92 Rand today. Uh, and it's been uh, up and down over the last few weeks. Um, I don't know if Aspen's going to be able to come up with a plan. Uh, it used to be the darling of the market, uh, not really so nowadays. Um, now hopefully something is going to happen there. I wouldn't be surprised to see if uh, it ties up with Atcock Ingram, uh, both generic uh, pharmaceutical manufacturers. Um, the company whose name I've just said has just gone and slipped out of my head because I was starting to think about Bidvest. Is of course owned by Bidvest. So it's in, in very good company there. Um, I'm sure Brian Joffrey's probably making a sniff around Aspen if um, if his instincts are to be trusted in any way. Now Spouse is the fourth most watched share on uh, ShareNet today. Of course, its share price is uh, very different uh, from its peers in the most viewed shares block. 3,278 rands for one Naspass share. Wouldn't be surprised if they have a, another share issue uh, in a while back, but why they would need to? I mean, they're sitting on $30 billion worth of uh, cash thanks to that sale last year. It's on going up, buying things all over the world at the moment. Uh, so, yeah, they I mean, need to issue more shares. Well, they may, I suppose, wouldn't be surprised if they start uh, issuing shares on other stock exchanges around the world. Mm, that's a possibility. I wonder, Nospaus, I mean... That share price, 3,278 rands just for one share. Can you imagine? Hmm? Steinhoff used to be 95 and it's the 1 rand 77. It's still the most watched share. 
<laughs> no news is good news, they say. No news. Bad news is good news. It depends on who you speak to, really. But Steinhoff is still very famous, even though it's very small compared to what it used to be. I guess there's a message in there for all of us, isn't it? RCL, the food group, is uh, up 6.77% today. Angler Gold up 6.75% uh, is the second biggest winner on the JSE today. Goldfields, Harmony, and African Rainbow Minerals. How about that, eh? Oh, all four um, gold producers there uh, have been big winners with the gold price going up today. Uh, American, now you don't know whether you really should pay any attention to what the American or Chinese trade talks negotiators have to say about the progress of the talks. Because every time they come out and say, well, it's looking pretty good. Bing! The markets shoot up and yay, everyone's very happy and money pours into emerging markets because now the people in the rich countries that feel that they can take their money and get a little bit more risk then they go into the emerging markets. Um, now, yeah, like I won't go into that. I was just thinking about, uh, you know, you've got to have a, a long-term plan. It, uh, it seems like there's always a lot of money to go out on the day, um, uh, moving according to uh, daily developments rather than, you know, long, slow and steady as we're all all the sheep are told this is how you're supposed to invest in the markets. Uh, I'm quite sure that there are many traders who are simple day traders. Um, a very, very uh, raggedy way of making a living. It's a bit like being a prostitute, I suppose. Um, you're definitely not uh, sharing in the risks. You're, you're definitely only like sort of playing, playing the markets. In, in fact, the way I see it, it's pure riba. Um, if you want to uh, in play in the stock exchange in this way. Uh, and that is like, you know, you've got companies coming up with their annual results. You go and you have a look at the annual results and you try and decide, are these guys going to be producing a dividend? And then shortly before they uh, announce their results, you go and buy shares in the companies that you've decided these guys are likely to announce a dividend. You go and buy the shares and uh, you take the dividend and uh, the day after the dividend is announced, uh, you sell your shares. And uh, that's one easy way of making money. Otherwise, uh, you know, uh, you can get daily developments uh, unlikely to hit a share and so on. And so you go and buy just opportunist, opportunist investing. Uh, and that's uh, therein lies the, the Reba appellation, I suppose. You're like a parasite in the market. And of course, most of the big boys in the market are exactly that, are exactly that. A big loser today, Mr. Price. I wonder why. Usually, usually Mr. Price goes down when it looks like there's going to be interest rate increases, but it doesn't look as though we're going to have many interest rate increases for the rest of the year. Uh, I mean, the U.S. Fed uh, yesterday came out and said, or rather on Wednesday, came out and said that um, we are there's zero chance of uh, more interest rate increases this year. And the U.S. Fed is uh, re-looking at it was looking at starting to try and mop up some of that uh, five trillion plus quantitative easing money that has been sloshing around among their buddies in the bond and banking markets. Uh, they said there were, you know, at least there's a small semblance of decency there in the United States. Uh, they have like started pretending that they're going to start buying back these. Uh, the quantitative easing dollars, which should have been released into the retail market, but because it hasn't been released into the retail market, the United States dollar hasn't fallen through the floor, hasn't become a bit like um, the Argentine real a few years ago. Uh, remember, they had massive restructuring problems, uh, repayment problems with the World Bank, and uh, as a result, when they when they um, <clears throat> when they defaulted on their loans, uh, the Australian currency went through the floor. Is it the peso rather than the real? Um, same thing should have happened with the euro and the same thing should have happened with the dollar after the credit crunch. It didn't happen because of this uh, banking economists uh, in the most polite language possible have described it as an unprecedented experiment. I mean, there is absolutely no logic to it. Uh, but because you're able to um, restrict the largesse to all of your friends, the too big to fail banks, the too big to nail banks, the too big to jail directors. Uh, you give money to them instead. You just slosh them out, all of the miscreants who caused all the trouble. You just go and give them a whole lot more uh, ammunition and then you expect the world economy to recover. So, of course, it hasn't recovered. 
just last week, uh, the European Central Bank announced that it was uh, going to be issuing even more billions and billions of euros to its banking buddies. Uh, and the rest of the world is sitting there watching them. Uh, now, you see, the problem is that these guys have traditionally been the leaders of the markets. And so the smaller countries are sitting around watching them, waiting for these leaders of the markets to come up with some sort of comprehensible, understandable policy going forward that isn't depraved. Uh, and it simply hasn't happened. It's time for the rest of the world to start saying to these economies that your money is worthless. <clears throat> That you are liars and thieves. Every time you come with the stuff that you say is money, you're trying to steal from us. It's time for the rest of the world to call them out because I can tell you something. There's no way that America is going to turn around and say, oh, no, you know, this doesn't really uh, work. And it's time we really, we really started paying back these quantitative easing trillions. They're not going to say that. They're not going to turn around and say, oh, you know, we should in actual fact allow the dollar to devaluate to the same extent as happened to the Japanese yen. You know, the Japanese yen nowadays is something like a, a 101 to the dollar. Uh, and, uh, yeah, that, that, that makes for a completely other kind of uh, banking experience. And interestingly enough, you know, it was the Japanese yen that was at the center of uh, this uh, pump and dump kind of uh, scenario that we've seen with central banks uh, and uh, that we saw with the American uh, subprime crisis. Uh, the Japanese uh, started it all when um, back in the, the late 90s, uh, when did, uh, when did the, the credit that Asian flu happened of 1997? 1997, the Asian flu went bad. Uh, it, it was sparked by the Japanese property bubble, which was, uh, if you go and you draw the similarities between the Japanese property bubble and the American property bubble, and then you look at the differences between them, it's really a very interesting uh, sociological and uh, economic exercise. You should try it one day. I mean, essentially, uh, the Japanese... Um, the Japanese big businesses on the stock exchange got together and they started uh, on, uh, you know, you, you get these high-end uh, property developments and uh, then as a result of those high-end property developments, you had other property developments starting all over the place and uh, they suddenly realized that, like, you know, you go to the, to the uh, registrar of valuers. Here in South Africa, we've also got a registrar of valuers. Uh, and these are property valuers who, uh, you know, auditors, accountants, uh, they've been trained specifically in, uh, in e evaluating the value of property deals. Now, of course, a property deal is a very interesting property, is a very interesting uh, little commodity. Uh, you see, you can have an open piece of land. This was something that I cottoned on to right at the beginning of what I didn't realize at that stage was the beginning of my business journalism career. And that was investigating the company, property company Masterbond in the early 1990s. The only reason I started investigating it was because no one else was investigating it. I was just a general report on the Star newspaper. And it was like more than 650 million rands with the pensioners' money has suddenly gone down the tubes. And no one's investigating it. So I decided to investigate it. And uh, one thing that I discovered then, you see, uh, some of the master bond uh, directors were valuers. Van Tonder, Kurs Van Tonder, he was a valuer. Uh, they went and bought some land at Langebaan, which then was, uh, was just like an open flay. They bought some land at Langebaan for 1.5 million rand. And in a matter of weeks, uh, he, uh, Kurs van Tonde had revalued uh, that property at 15 million rands. Uh, but if you went and had a look at that property, you would see that that property was still exactly the same property. You know, uh, the, the, the tide was still coming in, uh, the wind was still blowing across the waters and the reeds and, and the sand dunes and the grasses on the sand dunes. But that was it. The crabs would still go running across the beach and the waves would slap against the rocks. But it was still the same piece of property. But that property had gone from being worth one and a half million rand to 15 million rands. And now you're going to have a look at that property now. And of course, it's worth hundreds of millions of rands uh, because, you know, Club Mykonos did eventually take off. Uh, but, uh, you know, 
that took like about a 20-year turnaround period. Uh, and instead, Mosselbond, when it launched the Club Mykonos deal, uh, it was uh, it was handing out money. It was handing uh, in, it was paying interest on its debentures. It's paying interest and handing it back to uh, debenture holders on a monthly basis. But of course, that Langebound piece of land was still exactly the same then. They had started selling parcels of land, but they had even started building on it. But uh, nevertheless, that means that you have to start paying out interest to to, to existing b- uh, bondholders, uh, and so. What the Mastermind did was it started taking new money coming in and using that to pay the interest off and then also using it to build its Club Mykonos. But then they started doing it too many places and they ran out of money. It turned into basically a, a pyramid scheme. But nevertheless, that Club Mykonos land uh, for a while didn't change in any way whatsoever, but the valuations did. And that's what they did in Japan. They started valuing commercial properties and saying, well, this piece of property is worth this much. Uh, we've got a property company that's going to develop uh, this piece of land. And so this piece of land is going to be valued worth this much. Then they went and said, well, now this property company that wants to develop the land has been bought over by a listed uh, company. And they're going to list this property as a separate company on the stock exchange. So now all of these people start buying shares in this company that's listed on the stock exchange. But essentially, that piece of land has still remained the same. The property hasn't changed. But its valuation and its price and the perception of value has changed completely. That is the one thing that really can run the the property market ragged. And there in that gray area, yes, yeah, that's where the bankers come in. That's where the lawyers come in. That's where the sales executives and the estate agents come in. Oh, well, I'm getting frantic waving uh, from the uh, from the control room there. I'm going to have to go for a commercial break. Don't go away. We'll be back in a minute, inshallah. You are listening to the voice of Ahlus Sunnah Wal Jama'ah. Assalamu alaikum. Welcome back. Just remember, if you want to give me a call, and we can put you on air and we can discuss issues. Um, I know I sound like a very argumentative person. I tell you, I'm not. I am. I'm not. I am. Um, no, I'll be kind. I'll be kind. I'm not rude to my guests. I'm not rude to guests. Uh, so if you want to call, our number is 010-001-004. Or you can WhatsApp us on 08 Huh? Are those the right numbers now? Now, now, now I'm suddenly... Uh, I sort of said to myself, I'm sure I've got these numbers off pat on the top of my off the top of my tongue. Uh oh one oh double oh double one double oh four. Yes, that's what I said, huh? That's what I said. Oh eight four seven eight six three one three two. Those are the numbers. Come on, give us a call. Be my first caller. I still haven't received the call. I've I've I've, I've been here now six weeks and no one has given me a call. Come on, guys, give me a call. Come on, there must be something you must be thinking about. Anyway, uh, getting back to what we were talking about before the break, uh, we were speaking about the comparisons between uh, the Japanese uh, property bubble that burst in 1997 and sparked the Asian flu crisis uh, compared to the American subprime crisis. Uh, You see, the world was going through major troubles, and and largely the trouble is related to the lack of growth in the stagnating economies. That's what I call the economies that other people call the developed economies. I call them the rotting economies because uh, they passed their prime and now they started to collapse in upon themselves. Uh, it's not an inevitable event. I would say that it is an event that was sparked largely by the invention of the pill in the 1960s. Yeah, the hippie period. Remember all those cool dudes with those pink glasses, pink round glasses. Yeah, well... That was when the West started falling apart. They didn't realize it then, but what the uh, what the pill did was it turned the population pyramid completely on its head. Uh, after World War II, all those soldiers came back from the war, and all they wanted to do was make babies and have a little nice house with a little white picket fence going around there. They wanted to get their pension fund. They wanted to get their medical aid. They wanted the government to look after everything. They'd just been fighting the Nazis for five years, and the government owed them something. 
course, the government also knew that these guys have just returned from a war. You know, these guys are used to building a bridge across a river in like less than 24 hours. These guys know how to get things done. So we mustn't mess with them. So, of course, they Mori called them all. The bankers got together and said, don't worry, we'll make a nice little plan for you. You just give us all your money on a monthly basis and you put it into your pension funds and we'll have nice, slow and steady investment in safe investments like government bonds and so on. And then uh, as a result of that, when you come to retirement age, all of the other people who are coming in, they're going to be contributing to the pension pool, and then you're going to be able to go retire uh, comfortably. And so they did. Um, Billy Joel sang about them uh, spending the weekends on the Jersey Shore. Yeah, they fought in the Second World War, and they, they faded out their gray years on the Jersey Shore, watching the waves come in and tickle their toes. Uh, but things were changing. You see, all those guys had a whole lot of babies. It was called the baby boom. Uh, the 1950s and 1960s, the baby boom generation ended around about 1964, 1966. I can remember very clearly because I'm born in 1964. Uh, and so um, my younger brother's born in 96. So like, like I'm, I'm right at the tail end of, of the baby boom generation. Now, as us guys are starting to go into retirement and as we start getting older and all the people there, our elders, uh, they're all in the retirement funds now. They're in frail care. They need all kinds of drugs to keep them alive. Oh, boy, oh, alive mercy on me. I don't want to get into old age. Oh, alive mercy. Uh, and they're in retirement homes and the children are too busy to look after them and the children live in their separate houses. And so it's all very expensive. It's all very expensive, and uh, and uh, that means that there's now trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars that are constituting what they're calling a pension funding gap. If you look at the amount of members that you have, the amount of money you have at your disposal, and the rate of growth of this of this pile of money that you've got invested in all different things, uh, you know that uh, our investment horizon is looking like this. And our cost horizon is looking like this, and the cost horizon is rising far faster than that investment horizon is rising. And so it's getting darker and darker and darker because that pension funding gap is starting to block out the light. And that means that all the little millennials who are coming out onto the market nowadays are supposed to continue contributing to a pension fund that isn't going to exist by the time they come to retirement. They can see what the previous generations have done. This is why we're getting such a nihilistic uh, youth that are turning out. They actually don't see a future for themselves. And they see their parents going on and going on about the 60s and the 70s, those glory years, tra-la-la-la-la-la-la. And they know that their parents are stuck in a belief system that is completely worthless. May Allah Ta'ala make this a means of a diet for all those children in America, in Europe, in Australia. May make it a means of a diet. May they all become Muslim because they can see by their parents. In fact, you know, this is another issue that has always struck me. Nabi Karim said in the end times, the children will be wiser than their parents. And, uh, you know, um, <clears throat> you get nowadays a lot of disrespect for parents and so on. And I would say, yes, that is, uh, that is a, a true and proper interpretation of that hadith. But another interpretation lies in the fact that many parents nowadays, because of the education system, you know, they've been brought up to believe you must do you contribute to the pension, you're going to work for the corporation, and everything's going to be fine. Okay, and so like when you finish school, you're out on your own, right? So me and my wife, now we're going to go and we're going to go retire down at the coast. That was the white dream in South Africa in the 1960s, 70s and 80s. Uh, before the 80s were over, it was already starting to fall apart. By the time the 90s were over, it didn't exist anymore. And uh, those uh, those beach cottages and so on uh, were, 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 were forgotten because the, the children and the grandchildren had left the country. Um... So, you know, you had the rise in the nuclear family, and the nuclear family, it needs those pension funds, it needs the medical aids, it needs the insurance companies, it needs a, a means of investment on the stock exchange, you know, all of these things. Uh, the pension funding system has failed. 
And, and that is a major crisis in Western civilization. Western civilization has been unable to come up with an answer because, you see, it's a demographic one. And you go and speak to any, any demographic expert and they will tell you, you can't make political changes through demographics like the apartheid government tried to do. Oh, no, the blacks, it's a bit like the, the, like the Nazi-Israeli apartheid government uh, is doing today. You see, they're looking at the West Bank and the Gaza Strip, and they're seeing the high birth rates there among the Muslims, because Muslims know that children are a blessing from Allah, whereas they are westernized, the Israeli Nazis are westernized. Uh, and so uh, they believe that that they believe in the superstitions like uh, responsible breeding and so on. You see, which like really took off in the 1960s when the pill became available, and suddenly women could control their fertility rates, and so the 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 birth rates just like fell down to the floor. They call it responsible breeding. But what that means is now you don't have enough uh, workers, active workers, to support the pension funds. Uh, it used to be in the 1950s, like one and a half workers was looking after a pensioner. Now, um, now you've got one and a half workers looking after three pensioners, and, and they're just not managing anymore. They just can't manage it. Uh, and so, you know, uh, they're all battling. The, the, the younger generation is systemically forced into a confrontation with the older generation. No, we are, we are, we are, I don't want a pension fund, I don't want to do all of that. And, you know, uh, the, the, the old way of doing things has now fallen apart. Simply because of this demographics, simply because Westerners said that children are a cost factor in your balance sheet. Too many children are a curse. They're not a blessing from God. That's the way the Westerners started seeing their children. Cost of living increases because there isn't... Um, any cross-subsidization of your living costs, which you would have if you had a big family, if you had uh, clans or uncles and aunties living closely together. The more closely you live together, the more you're able to subsidize each other's expenses. The more you're able to borrow. You go and borrow your brother's lawnmower. You go and brother borrow the auntie's hairdryer. You know, you don't have to go and buy your own. And if you have a proper clan relationship where there is proper respect, you return these things too. Um, and so you're able to live peacefully, uh, and your family is your safety net. You don't need, you don't need the insurance company. You don't need the medical aid. You don't need the pension fund. You don't need the old age home. You don't need, you know, even like say you're like one of the lucky ones. My mother was one of the lucky ones, not because of my father's responsible investing, but simply because of the fact that they had six children. There's six children to look after my mother now. My father passed away in 1993. And now there's six children to look after the mother. And so she's staying with my sister in Ireland. She moved over there about six years ago, five years ago. Um, but other people in her generation, uh, she was staying in an old age home on the East Rand, uh, Ellen Woodrow Retirement Village. Really wonderful, beautiful little uh, retirement villages. Everything is beautiful. Everything is perfect. But you'll see that, uh, you know, eventually after a while, all the, all the men are dying. The men die long before the women do. And the women are left there on their own in their, in their retirement home that was supposed to be like their little idyllic uh, shared joy with their husband. And, of course, now they're on their own. So it's a completely different kind of experience from what they were expecting. So you see most of the, most of the rooms in the retirement village throughout the day, the curtains are closed. The curtains are closed. And these are the people who are the successful ones. These are the people with the money who actually retired with money. Uh, the woman who lived across from my mother, uh, every year as it comes to like so August, September, she starts bragging about the fact that her, her son is going to fly me across to America. And he's going to fly me all the way to America. I'm going to fly to America and I'm going to visit my son in America. Ooh, ooh, you know, and she'll go and she'll tell everyone in the old age home that her son is going to be flying her uh, off to America in December. And in December, the son does dutifully pay for an airplane ticket and bring mommy across for Thanksgiving and Christmas. And then after New Year, she returns and oh, she's full of stories about her son who flew her out to, to America. So like two weeks in the year, this old lady is with her son. 
The rest of the year she is alone. There was another lady who lived in front of my mother in the old age home. And I tell you, it's a very nice old age home. This is the best kind of old age home you can get. You're right. You're successful. You saved up your money. You married the right man. You didn't have accidents. You didn't get sick. You didn't lose your partner. And you have ended up in the old age home. Huh? This is like the successful conclusion of your life. Amidst a whole lot of strangers you don't know and you start making friends and then after a while you stop making friends because you start realizing that the more friends you make in an old age home, the more people are going to die. The more people you know are going to die. So it becomes an unpleasant thing to get to know people in an old age home because you know, uh, the, the joke that they have when you walk into the old age home is, so how are you? Ah, not as good as I was when I arrived. <laughs> you know, falls over dead people you get to know start falling over dead in old age homes now there was a, a, a lady who lived in front of my mother she had a son-in-law who used to come and visit every six weeks which is uh, more often than um, almost everyone else there other than my own mom because I would go and visit her every week I would go and stay with her for months on end uh, and I kept her company there because uh, we'd promised when we were young that we wouldn't put her in an old age home. But now she was, you know, an old lady living on her own uh, in Springs, uh, didn't feel safe in her little cottage. We bought her one house, then another house. Of course, now we're all in Joburg. Well, I'm in Joburg. I've got a brother, another brother in Cape Town and another brother in Brackban. So there's me and my other brother looking after my mother. I got a sister in Germany, a sister in Ireland, and another brother in Australia. Now, you know, we're all doing very successfully. Thank you very much. Uh, we're able to look after our mother, provide with all the physical comforts. But really, when you reach your old age and you're living on your own, you start realizing that that face-to-face -face communication, that daily contact, they get me a cup of tea, actually means something. And uh, the little old lady who lived in the house in front of my mother, with the son-in-law who would come and visit every six weeks, he'd bring the children with him. He had three young little children, lovely little children. And uh, for two weeks after the son-in-law's visit, uh, it would be quiet at night. But then after two weeks had passed, the woman would start crying and sobbing. You know, like that. <laughs> sobbing, that sob, sob, heart-wrenching sobbing. She was killing herself by crying. And the sobbing would start at 11 p.m. at night and would continue until like half past 11. Sobbing, sobbing, sobbing. And eventually they came and they took her away. She went insane. And that is a successful ending to your life, according to Westernism. That is civilization. It's a concentration camp, an old age home. I'm sorry to say, it is a concentration camp. The lady who lived behind us, she kept herself dolled up beautifully. She had this lovely reddish auburn hair that she dyed all the time. And um, you wouldn't see her at all. Her windows were closed 24 hours a day. Her curtains were closed 24 hours a day. You would never see her. Her son would come uh, like maybe once every two months. Uh, you'd come for a morning. Um, and, and then she'd come out and you'd see her and she'd smile and she'd walk past like with her pearls on and like you're beautifully done up. And they'd go in and they'd have lunch at the main house. And, uh, and then you wouldn't see her again. That is successful Western civilization. Most people ending up in old age homes today are undergoing some of the worst kind of uh, trauma of their lives. Uh, they're not, there's no nursing staff, there's no people to clean them. Uh, as you become incapacitated in your old age, you need help even just to go to the toilet. There aren't any people to help people to go to the toilet. Can you imagine what happens when that happens? And that's happening in old age homes all across the world. And this is the West. This is the West. This is the successful civilization, as we're told. This is the dominant civilization in the world. These are the people that come and, 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 and presume that they're going to dictate to us, the Muslims. We know how to look after our elderly. We do know. But it doesn't mean that we all are looking after our elderly. We also find it convenient to dump them in the old age home. And we call ourselves Muslim. 
we could also be going to Salah one night and a gunman walks in. We could also be going to Salah with the best intentions and having made our wudu. And when we find ourselves in our kabr, what kind of, how are our parents going to greet us? Are we going to meet our parents? Among all of the Muslims, they, 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 they gather there. They gather there and they see, ah, someone has come and joined us. They go and say, ah, how are you? And then they, they, and they, ask, and they, they, they ask about the, the people who are still alive. And then the one who's joined them says, oh, no, no, he, uh, he, he, he passed away about two years ago. And then it's like, oh, he's not with us. And then you know that the person has died without iman. Are our parents going to be greeting us when we get into the cover? What kind of passing are we going to give our parents? Are we looking after them? Are we phoning them? Do we phone them on a regular basis, on a daily basis to say, I love you? So many Muslims have lost both their parents. They will tell you, phone her up, tell her you love her. Tell her you love her. Go and visit her. Take her a box of chocolates. Take her some flowers. Make her day special. Make her feel special. Love your parents. Love your parents. Your Jannah is on the feet of your mother. Your father is the key to Jannah. Never forget that. And may my ears that are closest to my lips be the first to hear. Ya Arhamar Achameen. Well, it's been a bit of a different Friday again. Last Friday was also a bit of a different Friday, wasn't it? May Allah have mercy on the Ummah of Nabi Kareem sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. May Allah have mercy on the Ummah of Nabi Kareem sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. May Allah have mercy on the Ummah of Nabi Kareem sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Well, there'll be news coming up after this. Oh, Oh Allah, I hope you had a wonderful Friday. I hope you had a wonderful Jummah. I hope you're with your loved ones. I hope there's peace and contentment in your home. May Allah bless you and bless your families. May He bless the family ties of the Muslims across the, across the earth. The entire Ummah. Oh Allah, all of those Mujahideen, have mercy on them, O oh Allah, and guide them to the correct battle. And bless them with Iman in death and with Iman in the stages after death. And the Muhajireen, those ones who've been scattered by war, O oh Allah. All the elderly mothers who are on their own in the streets, in the lands of the Kuffar, O oh Allah, have mercy on them. The abandoned children, O oh Allah. The orphans who are picking crumbs from the streets, O oh Allah, have mercy on them. O oh Allah, have mercy on the families that have broken and are scattered and bring them together. Ya Jami, Ya Jami, Ya Jami, join us together again. O oh Allah, if you don't join us together in the dunya, join us together in the akhirah. Ya Rahman Rahmin, have mercy on the Ummah of Nabi Kareem, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. O oh Allah, guide us. O oh Allah, help us to... To deal with the non-Muslims with mercy and kindness. O oh Allah, do not, do not put hatred in our hearts for anything that you love. And O oh Allah, do not put love in our hearts for anything that you hate. Ya Allah, become our eyes and become our ears. Become our tongues, become our hands and feet. Ya Allah, guide us to the best of deeds and morals as none can guide except thee. And save us from bad deeds. As none can save us from what is bad except Thee. O oh Allah, bless us with Thy love, and the love of those who love Thee, and love for every action that will bring us closer to Thee. With that, we've come to the end of Business Matters, with me, your host, Alameen Templeton. Jazakumullah for joining us. I make dua that whatever trade and activity you got up today has been profitable, and above all, halal. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. You are listening to the voice of Ahlus Sunnah wal Jama'ah.